Just a quick start before we get started this morning. Um, did anybody have a Halloween outreach this last Thursday night, Tom and Martha? How did it go? I saw some pictures. Way better than you thought. Okay. I heard the word was out, and everybody knew they were going to your house that night. So, yeah, good. I'm glad to hear it. Um, we, we attempted the same thing. Ours was a little more preliminary than yours was, I think. But we had a, we had a fire out in the street, or on the driveway, and had a, had a nice time. And, and people seemed to appreciate the hot cider. Note to self, for next year, hot cider is the ticket. It's the ticket, especially if it's a cold night out. One, one young lady came up to me, and, and uh, I said, we've got hot cider here if you're cold, if you'd like something to take with you. Got some hot cider? Oh, no, I don't think so. I said, well, it's, it's awful good. It's nice and warm. She said, is it poisoned? <laughs> I am truth in you. She said, is it poisoned? And I said, well, I didn't know what to say. <laughs> Yes would not be a good answer, I suppose. Um, I, I, just, I just said, well, I've been drinking it, and I'm still standing here, so I guess we're good. So she took some and appreciated it. So the cider was, was the opening ticket for everything. So, good. What does it mean to be a Christian? What's it mean to follow Christ in, and live out our faith every day and in every circumstance? That's the question we've been pursuing this whole fall season. What does it mean to live the transformed life, to experience the transformation of Jesus Christ? Our meditations have taken us to Mark chapter 8 and the call to take up our cross daily and follow Christ. We looked at life transformation that comes from allowing the Holy Spirit to change our lives. From Romans 12, we've looked at the role of God's word in our transformation. We've, we've considered the centrality of prayer for the one who follows Jesus. In our most recent discussion, we took a look at what, what the role of worship is in the life of a believer, someone who follows Christ. And they've been great discussions. I'm not sure that we planned it this way. Uh, the best things are things that we don't plan that way, I guess. But um, our focus on the ministry of Celebrate Recovery last week seem to put an exclamation point on what it means to live a transformed life in Christ. We heard great testimonies. We heard a good message that day. And, and it all seemed to point to us leaving our lives open at the cross of Jesus and letting him work out his transformation power. And the testimonies we heard were unbelievable um, pictures of what God can do when a life is laid bare before Christ. And then, as if, as if to take another look at what it means to follow Jesus, the elders and I had the privilege this, this last two Wednesday evenings to meet with the Crux students. And they were given the opportunity to ask us anything they wanted to about faith, about theology, anything that was weighing on them these days, any questions that they had about their faith. And they had excellent questions for us. They had more questions than we could possibly have answered, but we had some great discussions down in the youth room these last two Wednesday nights. And as we discussed their questions and the issues that came with following Jesus, I was impressed that they were, they were doing what we all need to do, and that is they were wrestling with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. They were wrestling with, with what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ in a world that is offering up not, not just offering up, but barraging them and us with contrary opinions all day long. And I'm reminded again of how proud we should be of our students. They take following Christ very seriously. And they're wrestling with what it means to be a Christ follower in their world. I'm also proud of Caleb and our youth staff. We have quite a youth staff. If, if you're working with our teens, would you stand up this morning? Come on. Thank you. 
they're doing a great job with our students, and I, I just appreciate every one of them and the sacrifice they're making so that our students can be grounded in the gospel. And I'm also proud of our church family because, because you intentionally seek to establish all of our kids in the gospel, and I'm very proud of Valley Free for that. In the course of our conversation with the students this last week, we, we got back to some very basics, and we reminded ourselves of the three important aspects of salvation. Now, we've talked about this before, but it's going to be a good review this morning. Salvation isn't simply the moment that we receive Jesus Christ into our life, but it actually has three different components to it. The first one is... Is it on the screen? I was going to... Okay. Justification. Justification. I was going to give you a quiz, but I thought, well, it's on the screen, so it doesn't matter if I give the quiz. Justification. That's the one-time transaction that we, that we think of when we think of salvation, when we acknowledge Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, when we entrust our lives to him, when we yield ourselves over to him. And in this transaction with God, a lot of things happen, but our relationship with God is restored. Our sins are forgiven. We receive the Holy Spirit in that moment, and we move into the abundant life that Jesus Christ has offered to us, has invited us into. Romans 5.1 tells us, that since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. It's a one-time transaction. It's a legal transaction. So when it's done, it's done. Our relationship is established, and our identity as children of God is sealed. Most of us don't understand that this is a one-time decision that God stands by. I don't know about you, and we talked about this with our students the other night. I, for one, uh, prayed to receive Christ about 100 times when I was in high school, right? Did anybody do that, or was it just me? Okay, because we don't understand this idea that it's a one-time transaction, and I don't have to do it again. I am a child of God. I am sealed by the Holy Spirit. I am walking in the promise of God from that moment on because I'm in a right relationship because I have accepted what Jesus Christ has done for me on the cross. He took my place. And when I acknowledge that and I say, I believe, and I believe it in my heart that Jesus rose from the dead, and I say it with my lips, I say it with my mouth, it's done. Justification. One-time transaction. And then there's the second aspect, which is sanctification. That's the part of salvation that includes our action. You see, justification is all God's movement. In our faith, we're being transformed continually into the image of Christ. That's a, a lifelong process. It's ongoing. In fact, I can say for myself, it's going to take a lifetime of faith and obedience for God to work all this out in me. It is a constant yielding of ourselves over to the Lord Jesus Christ, over to the Word of God, and over to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And as we do so, step by step, we see our lives reflect more and more of Jesus. Hopefully we can see a change every day, but more likely over months and over years, we can look back and say, God has done an amazing work in my life. That's sanctification. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 3 says this, this is the will of God, your sanctification, your making yourself, making God making you into the image of his son, Jesus Christ. Sanctification. We're also told in Romans 6, 22, but now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves of God, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. See, God is at work in you to work out his purposes in your life. God is at work in you to, to establish this foundation of your identity in him. God is at work in you to establish his word in your life. God is at work in you so that you can hear clearly the leading of the Holy Spirit in your life. And as you do that, you begin to see things start to change. Galatians 5.22 says that the fruit of the Spirit will begin to come to the surface. Fruit of the Spirit is, I'm sorry, can you, somebody help me? There it is. All those characteristics start to come to the surface. And, 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 and now where there was anger and hatred, now love starts to come to the surface. And where there was frustration and, and 
and lack of patience. Now all of a sudden, patience starts to come to the surface. Goodness, all those characteristics, the Holy Spirit is working on those in our life <clears throat> and surfacing them so that we become more and more like Jesus. That's called sanctification, and that's part of salvation too. But Paul said, the fruit you get leads to sanctification and its end, eternal life. And that brings us to the third aspect of salvation, and that is glorification. That's the part we all look forward to. That's the day when we get to go home. It's that blessed hope that Jesus is coming again, that he'll take us home to be with him in glory. It's as Revelation 22 tells us, it's a time where sin has no longer any influence. What, can you imagine that? Can you imagine a time when sin is gone and there's no more influence, no more, no more messing with my head, no more, more, no more compelling me to go in directions that God hasn't ordained for me, no more, no more earthquakes, no more terrible storms, no, nothing, because the whole earth will be put back together in the way that God wants it to be, and our lives will be made holy and perfect before God. No more sin. That's glorification. No more tears. Tears are wiped away. Our bodies are perfected. We talked about this the other night as well. Uh, our bodies go with us. We'll be able to recognize one another. We'll have the same kind of friendship or family relationship in heaven as we do here. We'll be able to recognize each other, speak each other's names. We'll share memories together. Our bodies are going to be perfected and they'll go with us. His work in us will be complete, be completed and complete. Oh, that'll be glory. That's why we call it glorification. That's the end of salvation. So when we say, I've been saved, when we say, I'm walking in God's salvation, it means all three of those things, justification, sanctification, and glorification. I'm walking in the promises of it. I'm walking in the power of it. I'm walking in the grace of it. I'm walking in all of my salvation. That's the whole picture. For now, those of us who are in Christ Jesus, if you have made the decision to receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you've taken in his offer to walk in him, then we live in the sanctification part of salvation. We've made the one-time decision, that's done, and we're waiting yet for the glorification part. We're in the middle where we're learning to obey. Sanctification is obedience. Sanctification is yielding ourselves to Jesus Christ. So, so far, we've, in, our, in our, our quest to understand transformation in Jesus Christ, we focused on heart issues. We focused on what's God doing in us, that heart change part of sanctification. We, we focused on the work of salvation in our lives, in our hearts, in our minds. It's all about us. It's about me. And indeed, the work of salvation is about transforming my life and your life. So it's the one time that we can say, it's okay. This is about me. God is working in me. That's part of sanctification. But we're not being transformed. That work in us is not happening for no reason whatsoever. That work in us is not happening just so that we can, we can sit in the blessing not just for ourselves. Now, it's true, the work of Christ in us brings life, and his work brings wholeness to us. It, it works out holiness, his holiness in our life. But it's for a purpose. It's for God's purpose in our lives. In, in essence, the transformed life is one that is lived on mission. God's mission. God's purpose. And if I, if I can be perfectly blunt about it, if we leave out the purpose, if we leave out the mission part of sanctification, then we'll grow inward. And as someone once said, a mentor of mine once said, we run the danger, excuse me, we run the danger of becoming navel gazers, focused and consumed by our own lives. See, the transforming work is indeed a blessing but it's a blessing that's intended to be passed on to others. So this morning, in the time that we have, I'd like to take a look at the whole panorama of God's glorious work in our lives. 
We heard the testimonies last week. We heard that his work is nothing short of miraculous. So I want to ask ourselves today, what is the purpose of God's transforming work in my life? So let's, let's look at God's purpose, God's mission in the transformed life. We already read Matthew 28, um, Acts chapter 1. Let's turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be, this is going to be a tour of Scripture today, so... We even see it in Acts chapter 1. The disciples are concerned with the kingdom being established. That's a, that's a me-centered question. When are, when are all your blessings going to come on us? When is your power going to come on us? But Jesus turned it around and he said, well, that's not your concern. Your concern is you, you be witnesses. Let's unpack that a little bit. When we think about our, our mission as followers of Christ, our, our God-given purpose, we immediately go to these, these two passages, Acts 1.8 and Matthew 28. We read, both of these pas- we, we read both these passages a little bit earlier today, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on them. But both of the passages are clear in their instruction. We are to go. Matthew says, Jesus said, as you go, as you go, proclaim the gospel. Establish people in the gospel. And I think it's also interesting that, that when, we, when, when Tom read that whole context, the whole context of that passage, what did it start with? They all gathered together in the presence of Jesus, and they were what? They were worshiping Jesus. Mission always flows out of worship. Always flows out of worship. And in, in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, which we, we've looked at, Jesus said that you will be my witnesses from your home base all the way out to the ends of the earth. Now that's a mission. That's a, a mission. I'm always impressed with the fact that these instructions from Jesus were not simply added on. They were not, oh, by the way, I'm, I'm leaving. I'm going I'm to be taken up into heaven just in a few minutes here. So there's one last thing I want to tell you. The Great Commission, in all of its forms, and it appears in every gospel, and it, it even gets reiterated through the epistles, and as we'll see, it even runs through the Old Testament. The Great Commission was not an added-on thought by Jesus. If anything, it was a, a summary statement of what all the Scripture says. The calling to mission, listen to this, is part of the fabric of our salvation. Turn with me to Luke chapter 24, if you would. This is one of the places where the Great Commission appears in the Gospels. These are some of the last words spoken by Jesus to his disciples. Listen to this. Luke chapter 24, verse 44. These are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. There again, he's pointing back to the Old Testament. And then he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. Again, understand what Scriptures? Old Testament is all they knew in that day. And he said this, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. That's part of the blessing. That's, that's God's salvation. God's, God's redemption for us. That's the story of the gospel. Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins, again, part of the blessing that we receive, should be proclaimed in his name to all nations, beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. You see, as he summed up all of Scripture to them, it included a summary of the gospel. And it included a command to proclaim the message. Notice the calling. Jesus said, you are to be my witnesses, witnesses of the risen Jesus Christ, witnesses of the gospel, that he, that he did die, that he was raised again on the third day, and the repentance is part of it. You are witnesses of the gospel. You are called to proclaim his name and his glory and his gospel to all the nations. Each of the gospels contains 
this great commission. But he wasn't, again, again, he wasn't giving them a new command. He was framing his teaching through the Old Testament. So what I'd like to do for a few minutes is, is do a flyover. Let's go 40,000 feet over the Old Testament and let's see what that looks like. Let's just skip a stone across the Old Testament and see if this, this commission, this, this great commission is actually there. Genesis 1, verse 28. God commanded Adam and Eve to do what? Remember? Be fruitful and multiply. God said to Adam and Eve, now go out and, and fill the earth. Be fruitful and multiply. God's design was that the whole earth would be filled with people who would worship him and bring him glory. And as the earth would be populated, different cultures would develop, and God would be praised through the many prisms of people and culture. It would be a beautiful picture of diversity. It would be a beautiful picture of worship as all the peoples of the earth came together from Adam and Eve as they filled the earth, and all this worship would grow up around them. God would be glorified and praised. And we saw how in Genesis, Genesis chapter 3 right away, that went south with the introduction of sin into the world. In Genesis chapter 11, we see the people building a tower up to the heavens, the Tower of Babel. You see, the people of the earth decided that they didn't need God. And this is even after the flood. So this is a cycle. This is a repetition of rebelling against God. I don't need God. So they stopped the plan. They, they, they thwarted the plan of God to move out into the earth and to gather up uh, to, to, to be a diverse people and live among all the places of the earth. Instead, they stopped in one location, and they all gathered together, stopping God's plan, and they decided to build a tower right then and there, a tower unto the heavens. And as you know, God was not pleased with their arrogance. He wasn't pleased with their rebellion. And he wasn't pleased with them with them shutting down his plan to fill the entire earth. They weren't going to scatter. So what did he, what did he do? You remember the Tower of Babel? What was the response? God said, no, I'm not going to have this. And so in a moment, he thwarted their language. And all of a sudden, they had all kinds of different languages. And they couldn't speak to one another. So they were forced into clans. They were forced to move out into the earth, move away from one another because they couldn't understand each other. And so God accomplished his means. He established nations. He established cultures. He established tribes. He established languages. And they would all come from this judgment of God. And I like to say when he, when he scattered them across the earth like that, he, 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 it was a divide and conquer. It was a divide and conquer because his plan is still to bring all the peoples of the earth to bring him glory to worship him, and to, to invite them into relationship with him. So it was a divide and conquer. And then again in Genesis chapter 12, immediately after the Tower of Babel, immediately after we see the peoples of the earth dispersed, God picks one guy out of all the people of the earth. Do you remember his name? Abram. Abram. He would soon become Abraham, but, but in Genesis chapter 12, he's Abram. He was a pagan man. He was chosen by God to be the father of a not-yet-existing nation, Israel. And God made him a promise in Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 to 3. In fact, let's read it. Let's read it. Genesis chapter 12, 1 to 3. I, what we're talking about today has been transformative in my life. And this, this verse is foundational to it. It's foundational to the whole thread of mission throughout the scripture. Now, hopefully we're familiar with this, and hopefully this is reviewed this morning. But let me read chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. I'll make your name great, God says. I'll bless you. I'll make you a great nation. From, from one man came a great nation. It was a, a huge blessing. It was a personal blessing. And some call this personal blessing the top line of the gospel, the blessing line. It's God's blessing in our lives. It's, 
in our context, the top line would be the transforming work of Christ in our lives, which we've been talking about. That's the top line. That's the blessing part. But God included a, mess, a mission with it. He told Abram that he was to take this blessing to the nations. Through Abram and through his new people, God would pour out his blessing in order for the world to see God in all of his glory. God would be able to say to the world who's looking on, see, this is Abraham, and this is the people that have come from Abraham. They are my people, called by my name. If you want to see my goodness, if you want to see my holiness, if you want to see my righteousness, if you want to see all about me, if you want to see my glory, look at my people. That's why God chose Abraham. That's why he said, I'm going to make you a great nation, all so that he could pour out his blessing on his people. But there was a mission with it. God said, I want you to bless the nations of the earth. And that's the bottom line. A top line and a bottom line always comes together. The rest of the scripture, right up to the conclusion of the book of Revelation, is the working out of that principle. Blessed to be a blessing. We see God working his transforming power in individual lives, and we see God drawing all nations to himself. The promise of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, is the foundation of the Great Commission in Matthew 28. Turn with me to Psalm 87. This is another key passage in, the, in, the, in, in this topic. Psalm 87, I'll read from the beginning. On the holy mount stands the city he founded. The Lord loves the gates of Zion more than all the dwelling places of Jacob. Glorious things of you are spoken, O city of God. Among those who know me, I mention Rahab and Babylon. Behold, Philistia and Tyre with Cush. This one was born there, they say. And of Zion, it shall be said, this one and that one were born in her. For the Most High himself will establish her. The Lord records as he registers the peoples. This one was born there. Now, were the people of Babylon born in Jerusalem? Can I ask that question? The people of the Philistines, were they born in Jerusalem? No. Then what is this? Then I will say that they were born there. It means that they would be called out. It means that they would receive salvation. It means that God would write them down as a people group. God would write them down in his book, and he would say, these people have come to me. These people worship me. God says, I will. They were born there. The idea is that God keeps a register of the peoples. We already know about the book of life, right? We talk about the book of life where my name is written in it and your name is written in it. But there's another book as well, and that's the register of the peoples in Psalm 87. God is keeping track of all the, all the different languages, all the different people groups, all the nations, and he's saying, I will make sure because of Genesis 12, 1 to 3, because of my promise to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, because of that promise, I'm going to make sure that every people group is represented before my throne at the end of the age. Every people group. Every people group. He's keeping track. In every one of those groups, a person or a group of people will come to know Christ and they will be noted as representing that people. And we pray that it's an entire people that comes to Christ. And God will one day open those books and he'll verify indeed that every nation will be represented before the throne. What a glorious day that'll be. We see this throughout the gospel. Jesus summed up the law of God by saying we should love God and love our neighbor, top line and bottom line, blessed and blessing. When the disciples received the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, where were they? They were in Jerusalem. God didn't say, Jesus didn't say, well, by the way, you can all go home now. Because they weren't from Jerusalem, were they? Many of the disciples were from Galilee. God said, go to Jerusalem and wait for power to be given to you. 
So they were in Jerusalem, and they were praying, and they were waiting, just as Jesus had told them to do. And then Acts chapter 2 comes along, the day of Pentecost, and the Holy Spirit was given to them. And what happened? We say they spoke in tongues. But the tongues were very identifiable. What, what was the response of the crowd who heard, heard the disciples preach, heard, heard Peter preach? What, what happened? They all heard their own language, didn't they? The disciples were speaking, but they were speaking in other languages they didn't even know. Um, I understand at the first uh, Billy Graham conference, the Amster first Amsterdam conference for evangelists, I understand that the sound system, now I don't know, I can't verify this, but this is, this is a great story. I understand that the sound system, the translation system went dead. I was at, I was at the second Amsterdam conference for evangelists. It was an awesome experience. 10,000 evangelists from all across the globe were in the room. It was amazing. At the first conference, the sound system went dead for the translation. Everybody had ear sets on, and they were hearing some guy speak in a booth way in the back of the room, and they could hear it in their own language. The whole system failed. Billy Graham was speaking. He never stopped speaking, and everyone heard him in their own language. That's the story. Whether it's true or not, I don't know, but I like the story, so I'm going to stay with it. But you know what? God did it in Acts chapter 2. He did it on the day of Pentecost, so why wouldn't he do it in, at a gathering in Amsterdam? Why wouldn't he do it? God is amazing. But I want you to catch this. The disciples could have gone home, and they could have just lived in the fact that they just spent three years with God. They just spent three years walking with Jesus, the risen Christ. But instead, they went to Jerusalem, and they went there on purpose to see, to see, experience the Holy Spirit and then to move out and to proclaim the gospel. It's an amazing story. And then the rest of the book of Acts is a record of all of the gospel, I say, jumping the fences and heading out into the world. And finally, in the book of Revelation, we see it all come together. Revelation chapter 5, verse 9. You ransomed people from every tribe and language and people and nation. So you see all the way from Genesis through the Gospels, through the New Testament, all the way to the book of Revelation, God is doing one thing, and he's calling us to be on mission, to proclaim the gospel, to lift up the name of Jesus so that people from every nation, tribe, and tongue can know him. That's God's purpose. That's God's great commission. But when I think about this, when I think about the fact that it's woven all through Scripture, I can't help but think that this isn't actually the Great Commission. It's the Great Recommissioning. It's a review of what God has already said, what God has already purposed through the Old Testament narrative. In fact, the, the promise made to Abraham is repeated in the later letters of the New Testament. God's calling you to know him and to experience the abundant and transformed life. But he's also calling you, his redeemed people, God's own people to obedience to take this message to the people and the nations of Israel, of the world. The next, next, next thought that comes to my mind is that this is the great reminding. William Carey, one of the fathers of modern missions in the 1700s, wrote this about our calling as followers of Christ. Listen to this. This commission was as extensive as possible and laid them, the disciples, under obligation to disperse themselves into every country of the habitable globe and to preach to all the inhabitants without exception or limitation. They accordingly went forth in obedience to the command and the power of God evidently wrought with them. You see, Carey believed that the Great Commission was binding on every generation of Christians. For this belief, and his, in his day in the 1700s, for this belief, he was called a miserable enthusiast. He was told that if God wanted to save the heathen, he would do it himself. He didn't need us. So why was, the following, why was following the Great Commission so offensive to Carey's fellow Christians in the 1700s? And here's the reason. Because they, like God's people of every generation, suffered from poor memory. They suffered from poor memory when it comes to God's purposes. We like to receive the blessing and the blessing stops there. I forget to pass it on. You see, it's been going on for centuries. 
the nation of Israel, the promised nation of Abraham, was established, and we know the miraculous establishing of Israel through the, the Red Sea and the, and the freedom that they experienced from Egypt. But they were called to be a light to the nations, and they, they gave up that calling. They gave up that mission. They forgot that God had called them to, to not only receive the blessing, but to give it out. Instead, they closed in on their religious rituals, and they eventually developed a disdain for anybody who's not Jewish, the Gentiles. They lost their memory for the calling. We see times in the Old Testament when, when the memory returns and the people of Israel proclaim, proclaim God's glory to the nations. And even in the early church, we see a lack of memory. We see Peter struggling with reaching out beyond himself, getting out beyond the borders of Jerusalem. Peter himself had, had, was caught with this idea of not, not going out. So Peter needed a special vision from God to get the idea that it's okay to tell the gospel to somebody who's not a Jew. It's okay, Peter. God gave him a dream <coughs> and helped him figure that out. When revival took place in Antioch, a non-Jewish uh, Gentile city, the church in Jerusalem sent Barnabas up to, up to Antioch to what? to verify that this was indeed the Holy Spirit, because this whole idea of the Holy Spirit being given to non-Jews is that, well, we don't understand that. <coughs> so they sent Barnabas up there to investigate it. Turn with me to Isaiah 58. This, this might be a, a little bit of a detour, but... Isaiah 58 was when, when Sandy and, our, and I and our family left for Romania as, as church planters a long time ago. This verse stayed with me for the whole 10 years that we were there, this passage. Isaiah 58. Now, it's not necessarily a restating of the Great Commission, but listen, listen to this. I think it's, I think it's in there. Verse, verse 1, cry aloud, do not hold back. Lift up your voice like a trumpet. Declare to my people their transgression to the house of Jacob. You see, when it says house of Jacob, it's referring to that promise. Abraham and Isaac and Jacob received the promise, be a blessing. Blessed to be a blessing. So when he says the house of Jacob, he says, I want you to know, you guys are the children of the promise. This, this blessing and this be a blessing is all encapsulated in that thought right there. Yet they seek me daily and delight to know my ways as if, as, and I, I've circled as if in my, my Bible, as if they were a nation that did righteousness. It did not forsake the judgment of their God. They ask, me of, they ask of me righteous judgments. They delight to draw near to God. Why, why, God, have we fasted and you don't see it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? Behold, in the day of your fast, you seek your own pleasure and you oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. They forgot their identity. They forgot that they were children of the promise. They were children of Jacob, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. They forgot that they were receiving a blessing from God and they forgot that they were supposed to pass that out into the world. We talked about the danger, right? The danger of us closing in on ourselves. If we just receive the blessing, we don't give it away. That's exactly what they did in Isaiah 58. And then they go through all their religious motions and they fast and they pray and they go to the temple and they, and they, and they do all the rituals, they do all the right things and then, and then God doesn't listen. And then they turn around and say, God, where are you? Can't you see that we're doing this? And all God sees is that they turned in on themselves. And when we turn in on ourselves, God says, you fast, but here's what happens when you fast. You start to chew on each other. There's disunity. You're fighting with each other. You're pointing the finger at one another. You're accusing one another. You're, you're fighting. All the while, you're fasting, and you're turning to me, and you say, God, where are you? How come you're not listening? It's because I forgot my identity. It's because I forgot that I'm a child of God, and I have called to be, I've been called to a transformed life but I've also been called to go out on mission. I've been, I've been called to pass that blessing on, and they didn't do that. Now listen to this. 
Is this not the fast that I choose to loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke, to let the oppressed go free, and to break every yoke? You see, when, when God gave me this passage, it was, it was in the context of us going to post-communist Romania. They had, the communist regime had fallen in Christ, at Christmas of 1989, and communism still was deeply rooted, and it was, it was a dark, dark place. And so these words jumped off the page to me. I'm sending you to Romania, and I'm taking, you're taking this promise with you. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry and bring the homeless poor into your house when you see the naked to cover him, not to hide yourself from your own flesh? And here it is. Here's the promises. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn, and your healing spring up speedily. Your righteousness shall go before you, and the glory of the Lord shall be your rear guard. Then you shall call, and the Lord will answer. You shall cry, and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and the speaking wickedness, if you pour yourself out for the hungry and satisfy the desire of the afflicted, then your light will rise in the darkness, and your gloom will be as the noonday. And the Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your desire in scorched places. Make your bones strong, and you shall be like a watered garden, like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. And here again, verse 12. And your ancient ruins shall be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn back your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight and the holy day of the Lord honorable, if you honor it, not going your own way or seeking your own pleasure or talking idly, then you shall take delight in the Lord, and I will make you ride on the heights of the earth. How many of us, how many of us look at the world around us and say, I wish I could make a difference? How many of you look at the world around us and say, they need Jesus. They need to know the life that Jesus has. How many times do you hear stories about kids being, being led by their, their very own parents or their schools or something being led in directions that are, that are completely away from God and going to lead nothing, to, nothing but confusion the rest of their lives? How many of you looked at that situation and say, somebody, somebody needs to stop it. Somebody needs to interject Jesus into this. Somebody needs to give hope. Somebody needs to give the power of the gospel away for a transformed life. Somebody needs to do it. And God says to, through Isaiah, he says, your ancient ruins will be rebuilt. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. You, you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. How many of you want that identity for yourselves? How many of you want a transformed life and the power to transform those around you. God says you can do that. God says that's my promise, but you can't forget your identity. You see, he's talking to the people of Israel in this chapter, and he says, you've lost your identity as the house of Jacob, the people of the promise. I said, I'm going to pour out my blessing on you, but it's going to be so that you can shine your light to the world around you. You forgot your mission. Now look at the end. He says, then you will take delight in the Lord, and I will make you right on the heights of the earth. I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob, your father. Did you catch that? He started with telling them they lost their identity in Jacob. And he ends the teaching, Isaiah 58, I will feed you with the heritage of Jacob. I'm going to feed you the promise. You want to live in the fullness of God's promises? We need to be Christians on mission. We need to be transformed lives on purpose. You want to you you walk in the fullness of what God's purpose is, what he's doing throughout all of history? You want to insert yourself? In fact, God is inserting us there in that timeline of history. And he said, I put you here for this time, for this purpose, for this per reason, for this people. He put you here for that reason. And that's to proclaim the Lord Jesus Christ to those around you. How many of us want to live in the fullness of that? How many of you have been on a short-term missions trip? Come on, let's look at that. Wow. Now, let me, let me fast forward. Let me fast forward. Revelation, chapter 7. I looked, and before the throne, I saw a huge multitude 
from every nation, tribe, and tongue. Um, one of the questions, one of the questions we had at youth group this week was, well, if we don't go, I'm not sure I'm getting the question exactly right, but if we don't go, if the gospel isn't proclaimed to somebody in, in, in Asia or ancient this or ancient that, if, will, they, will they get to go to heaven? Here's the answer. God has, God put himself in a box and he said, you will be my witnesses. His purpose, his plan is limited to my obedience. What was he thinking? What was he thinking? Brothers and sisters, if you've been on a short-term mission trip, you know what I'm talking about. You know that you, right now I'm hoping that the Holy Spirit is bringing across, across your mind images of people that you invested your life into. And you say, because I went there and I shared Jesus Christ, or because we supported that church planting pastor, or because we, we gave a motorcycle like the just are doing, because we gave a motorcycle so a pastor in Africa could go and preach the gospel, because we took a step of obedience, somebody's going to be there. And they're not only going to have their names written in the book of life, but God's going to open up that other book and he's going to say, yes, somebody from Kenya is here. Yes, somebody from the Oromo language is here. Yes, somebody from the Romanian language is here. They're all here. God's going to have his checkbook checklist and he's going to check it against his promise in Genesis chapter 12 and he's going to say, the time is full and all around my throne, all the nations of the earth are represented. And I hope as I say that, that you're, the names of people that you minister to cross-culturally are, are, are happening, are going through your mind. My friend said to me this week, I've got a job. I got an important job. I've got a well-paying job. I've got status with my job. I like my job. It's all really good. But it doesn't mean anything to me because I got to pray with somebody this last week who has never prayed before. And I got to teach them how to pray. That's that's giving ourselves away. That's a transformed life lived on purpose. Whether it's here or whether it's in Romania or Uzbekistan or wherever it is. That song, there's, when we get to heaven, there's going to be a lot of singing going on. There's going to be a lot of singing. And they're going to sing glory to the Lamb of God. And when I think about our partnership with, with Pastor Christie and our sister church in Romania, I think, man, how many, how many people are going to be in heaven in, from Romania because Valley Free invested over these 25 years? How many are going to be there because we've facilitated Pastor Christie and his team to be turned loose to share the gospel with countless people? And how many, when we look out on that crowd and we, and we see, how many went to Romania this last summer? They're, they're all sitting together over there. <laughs> How many of you have kids from the camp just etched in your memory because they stole your heart? And you, with all of your heart, you want, want them to be there around the throne on that day. And I wonder what it's going to be like. I wonder what it's going to be like when... when I, I, how are they going to do the singing in different languages? How are they going to do that? Is it going to be all at once? I don't know. But what if, what if they say, okay, now we'd like the, 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 the nation of Israel, the people who speak Romanian language, I'd like, you to, I'd like you to come up. It's your time. It's your time to give praise and glory and honor to God. I wonder what it would sound like. Let me give it a try. Hang on a second. I wonder if it would sound like this. If they would start to sing as a great choir of, of Romanian speakers, Ulvad Peisus in Alsat in Slava. I look upon Jesus lifted up in glory. My eyes gaze upon his radiant face. Ulvad Peisus imbracat in Slava. I look upon Jesus clothed in glory. Petron yel yeste in Alsat, Yarmantia i. On his throne he is lifted up, yet his robe fills the temple. 
A choir of angels sings glory to him. Toți cei sfinți îi cântă glorie. All the saints sing glory to him. Tot pământul îi cântă glorie mielului. The whole earth sings glory to the Lamb. Glorie mielului. Glory to the Lamb. Cântăm mielului sfânt ce sade pe tron. We sing to the Holy Lamb who sits on the throne. Și ceruri donește pe veci slava lui. And he rules forever. Praise him. Mielului sfânt, cel care a fost, este și vine. The Holy Lamb who was, is, and is to come. Aleluia! Aleluia! Veniți să ne închinăm mielului sfânt. Come, let us worship the Holy Lamb. Cinste, onoare și slavă doar lui, mielului sfânt. Glory, honor, and praise only to him, the Holy Lamb. Sare pe tron și în ceruri, domnește pe veci, Slava lui. Seated on the throne and reigning in heaven forever. Glory to him. Alleluia. Alleluia. Veniți să ne închinăm mielului sfânt. Come, let us worship the holy lamb. Cinste, onoare și slavă doar lui, mielului sfânt. Glory, honor, and praise only to him, the holy lamb. Sade pe tron și în ceruri domnește pe veci. Slava lui. Seated on the throne and reigning in heaven forever. Glory to him. Let us worship. Let us worship the Holy Lamb. Alleluia. Alleluia. I don't think they say Alleluia. I think they say Alleluia. <laughs> okay, those are the lyrics. Here's the song. This is what it might sound like around the throne. Don't you love it when somebody says to you, I don't want to go to heaven, it's going to be boring up there. <laughs> And how many languages do we have to go through before we get through the registry of peoples? Okay, now it's your turn. Come on up. Brothers and sisters, that's, that's glorification. When we get there, we're not only going to be surprised that we're there, but we're going to take in all that God has done through your life, the fruitful effects, the glory of God. Lord Jesus, I pray that that is true for us this week, that we have eyes to see the world as you see it, that the people that are coming through our lives, and sometimes we don't even understand the people coming through our lives, but Lord, we need to see with your eyes. We need to see people who desperately need to know you. We need to see people who have a, a destiny, a future, of standing in that great congregation that day and singing praise and singing hallelujah to the very Lamb of God. Lord, may we be part of that. Don't give that blessing to somebody else. Keep it right here so that we can walk in it. Walk in the power of your blessing by, by walking in obedience and giving it away. We want that. Enliven us, Lord Jesus. Empower us. Send us out in your grace and your wisdom to, to proclaim your message. Pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. On your way rejoicing.